Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. everybody welcome back to when that's why we drink and we are in the uh the wine and crime phase of our maternity leave tour as i'm calling it last week we had kenyan and this year uh this year this week we have <laughs> lovely lucy thank Hello. you for thank you for coming on and uh filling in while christine takes care of a whole other human being i can't believe that that's so wild technically the baby <laughs> has been here when this comes out for four months now and I can't believe it it's really weird to have a friend with a baby is yeah. that have you do you have any friends with babies yet uh one but she has two babies so yeah yeah it's weird it's weird it's really it's weird. only it's it's particularly weird to me because I just think of her as like <laughs> I don't know I think of like silly sleepover Christine who's getting drunk all the time and it's like oh now she's got like someone else to take care of it's crazy yeah it's like it's like they morph from like one individual to like something that's not even multiple individuals it's like this mother so some transcendent two identities in one or something I don't know it's it's just very weird to two plus it's very (laughs) weird to watch because uh we'll like have like work phone calls now and I hear a baby in the background I'm like what is going on anyway it's just it's <laughs> weird to be in one phase of life while she's in another and just to see like how, I mean it's just it's I'm sure it would be so weird if she saw me with a baby all of a sudden it's just it's such a it's interesting to see so I'm in the I'm in the phase right now where all of my friends are having babies at one time so I think I'm just seeing it kind of piled on yeah. And everywhere I turn, there's a now a baby. I'm like, what is going on in this world? So it's it's a shift in identity for sure. It sure is. <laughs> How are you? Give us give everyone an update for, for those of you who also listen to Wine and Crime. And oh, are interested wow. in Lucy. My update. Um, well, I got my COVID booster. Yay. And you uh, said that put you out a little bit. Yep, I got it two days ago. I was super out of it yesterday, but that said, I this is all anecdotal. I don't want anyone to be afraid of getting their booster because you should all get your booster slash mm-hmm. vaccination if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, restaurants going well. It's Lachelle's Fine Foods in Des Moines. If you haven't been there, if you live in the Des Moines area, you should definitely check it out. Please go. Um, and also follow their Instagram because it's every day, right? They put out like a daily or almost every day they put out like some sort of daily sandwich that's 
looks like the tastiest thing I'm too far away to try. So, yep. We've got specials uh, Wednesdays through Saturdays for the most part. Then we have Sunday brunch also. So, yeah, if you're in the area. You also do brunch? Sure do. Wow. I can't. <laughs> wait, I'm actually supposed to be in. Uh, I'm not going to be in Iowa, but I'm going to be pretty darn close in April. And I'm really hoping I can make a trek on over and, and try some stuff. So, I mean. Um, it, if it's at all close, it's close enough. <laughs> and thank you for advocating for the vaccine. I'm getting mine tomorrow, which by the time this comes out, I'll be nicely triple boosted for a long time. But uh, you caught me in the middle of like a weird uh, game of the sniffles where like I'm trying to see if something's going to happen or not. Um, I don't know if it's if I'm going to get a full blown cold or if it's just like a weird seasonal thing. Cause it's been raining here in Los Angeles completely shuts down when it rains um so i'm apologizing in advance to you and everybody if i have to pause to blow my nose every now and we'll then, forgive but. you well uh i you uh, you planned you prepared a little story for us today yes i sure did so usually i go first but it it's dealer's choice you're the guest would you like to go first or second oh well shit i'll go first okay great Give you time to blow out your nose. <laughs> yes, I'll do. It'll be <laughs> instead of like a like a live theater reaction at all. You'll just get my nose blowing. Do you have a shout exactly. out at all? Are you going back out on tour? Uh, we are. As of right now, we haven't announced anything except for a Vancouver comedy festival show that we're doing. I don't even know what it's called. Vancouver comedy festival. This is embarrassing. That's okay. I was, as you said it, I was like, I think <laughs> I've done that, but I, was it, is it um just it's, for laughs? Yeah, it's just for laughs. That's I knew so much it, fun. I, I knew it, but I didn't want to say it until I confirmed. But yeah, it's like hosted by Trevor Noah. Are you fucking kidding me? I know. It's pretty oh wild. Oh my God. I'm we so went, um, We went two years ago and I can tell you that you're going to have a great time. So I, I'm oh. very excited for you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so take it away. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code drink for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink daylight saving time is starting up again it may feel like there are more hours in the day but if you're hiring it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner there's only one way to do that zip recruiter 
Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, well, I just want to preface if um, anyone listening is also a Patreon subscriber to Wine and Crime, you may have heard this story, but okay, so for our Wine and Crime um, Patreon exclusive content, we do these special short episodes called Drunk Dives. I love them. And it's episodes where we get like particularly drunk and then just like take turns going through one specific crime. I have always had one. I've always had a question about that. Okay, shoot. Are you like, so you do actually intentionally get a little tipsy. Like, is that a fun pregame before work situation? We were like, I got to do it for the big bucks. So we usually do a drunk dive after a full recording of like a regular episode. So then if we're able to, we just make sure to like actually drink during the episodes. Then we're a little toasty for the drunk dive. I see. This particular drunk dive that I did, I got really toasty. So <laughs> my delivery of this drunk dive was subpar. So this is like my redemption. I see. Yeah. This <laughs> I is, hope. I Hey, I'll take it. It's the, uh, the cleaned up version, I guess. Yeah. 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 Okay. So tonight we're going to talk about baseball, which is normally very boring, right? It's, you know, to me it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know so anything about baseball? Do you know like the lingo or are you a baseball fan? So it's a fine a, to, to a baseball fan. They would say I'm not. A, I don't know a lot about baseball, but I do know general jargon. And I am a fan of minor league baseball, which oh, but purely because like like actually I'm wearing my um, my home teams, my uh, my hometown's minor league baseball logo oh right God, now that's just to give you just to give you an idea of why i love minor league baseball the logo that i'm currently wearing is george washington's mother throwing the first pitch <laughs> so wait what and why that, that's why i like minor league baseball because everything they do you're like why is that what we're doing here it, none of it makes sense the teams have crazy names they have all these weird annual traditions where like everyone changes their team names once a week to random food it's very bonkers so to answer it's your question confusing. about it makes no sense. And that's I think I thrive in chaos, which is why I love it. Okay. But but <laughs> other than that, I don't know anything about baseball. Like normal baseball, forget it. I don't know anything. Okay. Well, we'll test your your skills today. Okay. Okay, perfect. Okay. So it's normally kind of boring, no offense, but not not always. Evidently. Not, not today, folks. Not today, folks. So tonight I will be telling you the tale of 10 cent beer night. What? That sounds like a minor league baseball thing. It was a major league thing. 10 it was cent a, beer night. It's a very bad idea and we'll get to it. Okay. But first, here's a little bit of background. Okay. So you may have heard of the baseball team, the Cleveland Indians. 
which are yes. now known as the Cleveland Guardians. Yes. Okay. Thank God. Thank God. But for the sake of this story, which takes place in the 70s, I will be referring to them by their name at the time, which is not cool and was never cool, but that's what it was. Okay. So they're the Cleveland Indians. I'm acknowledging that at the top. Got it. Um, anyway, so the Indians were known to hold various promotions, such as Nickel Beer Day in 1971. <laughs> okay. It feels ideas. like just a problem waiting. For- who pitched it? And then who said ah, yes? There pitched. was a... <laughs> I'm, I'm actually i forgot to tell you about i'm hysterical so get ready for this get ready oh, for this to go really well okay um i think we'll get to who pitched it actually or at least who shut it down thank you um, so nickel beer day everyone had a good time a good laugh some cheap beer etc so the team's managers held another fun alcoholic promotional event Mm -hmm. in 1974 and this time the idea was to sell 12 ounce beers at 3.2 abv so 3.2 is a a very light beer even lighter than light by today's standards and here's a fun fact minnesota is the only state to recognize 3.2 percent alcohol rather than rounding it up to four percent oh that is fun it's very very light Okay. It's a very light beer, but it's still al- alcohol. And I know you're coming from Wine and Crime straight over to, and that's why we drink. So in theory, between the two titles, I shouldn't know anything about alcohol. But is it by, <laughs> by light beer, do you mean the flavor is light or the alcohol content is light or both? I would say both. Okay. Got it. Probably both. There's a lot of water content in a light beer. So like a lot of people would call that like... Like, if you were, like, in the world of toxic masculinity, you'd call it, like, a sissy drink because it's, like, super watered down and, like, not that great. I would think so, yeah. Like a like an IPA, not a light beer. Got it. Okay. A stout, not a light beer. Got it. But, like, a, like a Bud Light, a light beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am learning things probably all by myself, but I'm learning them, so. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a quote from the Star Tribune. When popular support for prohibition dried up, politicians realized that it might take years to undo the 18th Amendment, so they looked for a shortcut. Prohibition outlawed intoxicating liquor, but they didn't mention actual alcohol content. They just called it intoxicating liquor. Got it. So because it was so light, it was technically not intoxicating? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So after after hearing expert testimony from one T.C. Haffenreffer of Boston, who said that 3.2% was the number brewers could hit and still make non-intoxicating beer, Congress mm-hmm. acted swiftly, and well, here we are. Quote, it seems like that was about as low as you could go and still have the brewing process work out so that there was something that was properly flavorful, says beer historian Doug Hoverson. Okay. So 3.2%, kind of the lowest you could get. Right. And that's what we're dealing with here. And may I take a, may I predict the future of the story? I would love for you to. Are people going to say, let's see how much I can drink just until I can get <laughs> fucked up? Is that where we're going with this? I think that could be assumed that, okay. that, that that was a conversation. Yeah. It seems like a fun game if like your goal is to get 
really drunk and they give you the lightest beer possible, how many will it take, you know? Well, here's the thing. You know, you can have 3.2% ABV alcohol. All that means is that you're not going to get drunk off of like one or two. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get drunk off of like 10 or 15. Right. Yeah. That bottle itself is non-intoxicating, but the Mm -hmm. case... The case is still pretty intoxicating, I assume. And I think a good thing to note here is that there wasn't a cap on the number of beers one could buy for 10 cents. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. I see where we're heading. There were were things that could have been uh, prevented, we'll say. Uh So back to baseball. On April 28th, 1974, which was eight days before our actual story, this is a leading up to. Love it. At a game between the Texas Rangers and the Cleveland Indians, Mm -hmm. there was a bench-clearing brawl between the two teams at Arlington Stadium in Texas. So lots of jargon here. Just please bear with me. And don't ask me any questions. I won't. I I didn't plan to. I heard bench clearing brawl and I thought I would have loved to be there because I love the drama. But that's love all it, the drama. I didn't really need any more jargon other than that. It was already flashy enough. So. <laughs> okay, it's, it's very flashy. Yeah. Okay. In the fourth inning of that game, Texas player Tom Grieve was walked. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure what that means, but I think it was a good thing for Texas and a bad thing for Cleveland. Okay. Again, no questions. Sure. The next batter hit a double play ball to Indians third baseman, John Lowenstein. He stepped on the third base bag to retire Grieve and threw the ball to second base, but Randall disrupted the play with a hard slide into second baseman Jack Brohammer. Uh-oh. The Indians retaliated in the bottom of the eighth when pitcher Milt Wilcox threw behind Randall's legs. Randall eventually laid down a bunt. Gross. <laughs> when Wilcox <laughs> when Wilcox attempted to field it and tag Randall out, which he did successfully, Randall hit him with his forearm, oh. which sounds like it was against the rules. Okay, sure. I, I don't, again, no questions, but I don't think that was allowed. Sure. Indians first baseman John Ellis responded by punching Randall. Again, oh. I don't think that's in within the confines of the that, rules. That feels not... That doesn't feel right. Okay. It doesn't feel right yet. So punched Randall and both benches emptied for a brawl. After the brawl was broken up as Indians players and coaches were returning to the dugout, they were struck by food and beer hurled by Texas Rangers fans. Not cool. So when you ask me if I'm into baseball, if this was baseball, I would be like number one expert. This is like hockey baseball. This feels like... A reality show baseball game. So it feels like. Also, someone's name was Brohammer, and I have been wanting to comment on it for a minute. Like that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a guy who would be in a bench clearing brawl where food is just getting thrown Bro-hammer. into the yard. Is there Brohammer or Brohammer? Oh, there's only one M, but it's one M away from straight up Brohammer. So. I'm gonna call him Brohammer because we both know. He would have found a way. I'm sure his his name was used a lot in reference points of how strong and powerful he was. I don't know. It's just yeah. a name that sounds exactly like he was meant for this brawl. It was Brohammer. Yeah. We're just going with it. Um. Okay. So both benches emptied for a brawl. 
After the brawl was broken up as Indians players and, oh yeah, I already said that, struck by food and beer, hurled by Texas Rangers fans, catcher Dave Duncan had to be restrained from going into the stands to brawl with the Texas fans. Oh my God. So like, uh, uh, everyone from both sides are real hot. Everyone's very... Feisty. Very feisty. Yeah. And keep in mind, this was not the game with the alcohol promo. Oh, right. This is eight days before. This is eight days before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that happened. And then a week later, someone's going to... Not even. I was going to say a week later, someone tried to pitch this idea. But this was already in the works for a This was a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. This was a thing. It was being promoted. It was a thing in Cleveland. So this Texas game was not suspended or forfeited. No players from either team were ejected and the Rangers won three to zero. So wah wah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So Cleveland's pissed. After the game, a Cleveland reporter asked Rangers manager Billy Martin, quote, are you going to take your armor to Cleveland? To which Martin replied, nah, they won't have enough fans there to worry about. Oh, I love the additional shit talking after the fact. Yeah. Also, big mistake. Huge. Mm. Uh Uh-oh. During the week leading up to the team's next meeting in Cleveland, sports radio talk show host Pete Franklin and Indians radio announcer Joe Tate made comments that fueled the fans' animosity towards the Rangers. In addition, the Plain Dealer, which is a Cleveland newspaper printed a cartoon the day of the game showing, this is so fucking gross, the former Cleveland Indians former mascot was called Chief Wahoo. (gasps) Oh, no. Okay. And it's like a straight, like, Crayola red-faced cartoon of, like, a Native American with, like, the the feathers and everything. Just, like, the the worst of the worst typecast stereotype situation. Yeah. Gross. It's not great. So let's all be grateful that they've changed all that shit around. So. Yeah. uh, Okay. Let's. Let's. So this newspaper printed a cartoon the day of the game showing their horrible mascot holding a pair of boxing gloves with the caption, Be ready for anything. Oh, okay. So this kind of had like January 6th vibes. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yes, except like half the people I went to high school with weren't there, finally. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. Welcome to Virginia for you. Oh, mm. slash we're definitely not even born yet, but and yeah, We're, we're not just... even born yet. And unfortunately, history seems to keep a pretty good self. But you're right. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. Feel, this very much, very much feels a little insurrection-y. It's a, a little insurrection-y, yeah. So Cleveland's 10-cent beer night promotion drew 25,134 fans to Cleveland Stadium for the Tuesday night game. Wow. Which was twice the number that they expected. They're really, it's, they're, they're storming. I'm just saying. You're they're not storming. Wrong. storming. They're something. showing up. They're heading to the Capitol. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They're showing bravery. <laughs> Or whatever. <laughs> take it. Okay, yes. No. I'm, a, I'm on board, kind of. <laughs> so the Rangers quickly took a 5-1 to one lead. Like, LOL. Okay. Meanwhile, throughout the game, the inebriated crowd grew more and more unruly. Go figure. 
Mm-hmm. Early in the game, Cleveland's Laron Lee hit a line drive into the stomach of Rangers pitcher Ferguson Jenkins, after which Jenkins dropped to the ground. That feels on purpose. That feels like that was the day that guy wanted perfect aim, you know? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Imagine, like, though, like, I'm not surprised you're on a baseball team that's a professional baseball team if you can aim that well. Like, I'm <laughs> impressed. I'm pissed, but I'm impressed. I'm a little impressed, yeah. yeah. It's a little petty, but, you know, if your aim's going to be that good, like, hitting a baseball. If you've got it, flaunt it, I guess, you know. It's like the Serena Williams of baseball. <laughs> Except Serena would never. Don't put her in that camp. No, but she could aim. She As could. could Venus. I also watched King Richard recently and it was really good. Oh, I love. Okay, hang on. We can talk about that later. But yes, I'm, I'm okay. on board with you. It's really good. Uh, okay, so Jenkins dropped to the ground. Fans in the upper deck of the stadium cheered and then chanted, hit him again. Hit him <gasps> again. Harder. Harder. Oh, my God. So they loved it, obviously. They were eating it up. They were eating it with a spoon. Mm-hmm. A woman. Oh, my God. A woman ran out to the Indians on deck circle and flashed her breasts and a naked man sprinted to second base as Grieve hit his second home run of the game. One inning later, a father and son pair ran onto the outfield and mooned the fans in the bleachers. You so know, they're getting progressively more this... nude, A, and B, <laughs> just like more rowdy. It, I said it once. I'll say it twice. If this were baseball on a regular basis, I would be really involved in baseball. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Same. So as the game progressed, more fans ran onto the field and caused problems. Mm-hmm. Ranger first baseman Mike Hargrove was pelted with hot dogs and spit. And oh. at one point was nearly struck by an empty gallon jug of Mad Dog 2020. And if you know... Oh, my God. Wow. Have you heard of Mad Dog 2020? No. I think I don't. Is it it glass? I'm assuming it's glass. Well, probably, but it might be a Midwest thing. It's. How can I explain it? Um, I've only encountered it one time and it was supposed to be a joke. (laughs) It's like. It's like cool. It's like ectoplasma colored malt liquor. What? Hang on. I'm Googling. Google it. Yeah, Google it. it I it, just, it I thought looks, the- It looks and tastes like antifreeze. It's really alcoholic. It's, it's disgusting. The, it's the opposite of that nickel beer they're offering. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's really neon. <laughs> it's really gross. So it, it doesn't, it's not even fun. The whole, the whole point is to get fucked up. Okay. Yeah. It's like if you're on a budget and you need to get fucking wasted. <laughs> I, I see. I see. So if I ever decide to really just go from like zero to 60, I just got to take a smell of Mad Dog 2020 and I'll be right there. I would there. say zero to 120. <laughs> zero to 2020. Um, zero to 2020. <laughs> I Wow. Well, I thought the, the dr- dramatic part of that was that it was like an empty gallon. I just assumed it was like glass or something. And he was getting like really like conked on the head. It didn't even occur I mean, to me. Probably. Was- but the fact that it was Mad Dog 2020 and it was empty and it was a gallon jug. It says a lot more now. I'm on board. It's Someone's also fucked it, up. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see the transition between people drinking Mad Dog for these 
baseball games to like a week later, there's like the lightest beer in the world on tap for a dime. So I, I <laughs> oh would, no, this, this is the game that we're talking about now. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So Mad yeah. Dog is still somehow slipping its way into the scene. I would say that they were supplementing their 10 cent beer with the Mad Dog uh-huh. or maybe pre-gaming with the Mad Dog. It was a supp- one was a supplement to the other. It doesn't sound like you pre-game with Mad Dog. <laughs> it sounds like you start enjoy and complete with Mad Dog. I don't think enjoy is the right word, but yes, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point someone threw lit firecrackers into the Rangers bullpen. Wow. In the bottom of the ninth, the Indians managed to rally tying the game 5 to 5. And they had Rusty Torres on second base representing their potential winning run. High stakes, high drama, high tension. However, with a crowd that had been drinking heavily for nine innings, this situation finally came to a head. Finally. Yeah. (laughs) After the Indians had managed to tie the game, a 19-year-old fan named Terry Yerkik, Yerkis, Yerkik, ran onto the field and attempted to steal Texas outfielder Jeff Burroughs' cap. Terry. Confronting the fan, Burroughs tripped. Thinking that Burroughs had been attacked by Terry, classic Terry, mm-hmm. Texas manager Billy Martin charged onto the field with his players uh, right behind him, some of them wielding bats. <gasps> A large number of intoxicated fans, some armed with knives, <gasps> chains, and clubs fashioned from portions of the stadium seats that they had torn apart. Oh, my God. Surged onto the field and others hurled bottles from the stands. 200 fans surrounded the 25 Rangers players with more fans rushing out onto the field. Wow. So this is just a full-blown mob at this point. Just like a baseball riot a riot yeah i'm glad you said it i was wondering if i should say it It was a riot yeah it was a riot um i have photos of this which i will email to you if you want to include them in your whatever but there's just like it's just it's really intense or if you want to google it right now just google 10 cent beer night there's just ample photos i mean so i uh, again i don't want to uh I, I hope that you cover at some point in this story, like the aftermath of people being like, well, that didn't work. You know, like did marketing ever make up like a press release apologizing or. Well, we'll get to it, but also no, not really. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> not really. <laughs> it really is just a mess. These pictures. A mess. A fucking mess. Wow. So realizing that the Rangers' lives might be in danger, Cleveland manager Ken Aspromonte ordered his players to grab bats and to help the Rangers, attacking the team's own fans in the process. So the, the Indians players were just like, uh, it's gone too far. We have to protect our rival team players because wow. our fans are fucking drunk and insane. Wow. It really, it became like an every man for himself almost. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Rioters began throwing steel folding chairs and Cleveland relief pitcher Tom Hilgendorf was hit in the head by one of said steel folding chairs. 
Hargrove, after subduing one rioter in a fistfight, had to fight another on his way back to the Texas dugout. The two teams retreated off the field through the dugouts in groups with players protecting each other. Oh, my God. So at this point, it's just baseball players versus the fans. Right. Yeah. Teams have nothing to do with it. It was all the fans versus all the players. Wow. Like teams are becoming their own teams. They're uniting into one big old team. Wow. They're one mega team. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, You know, I feel like this is some... How have I not heard about this before? I feel like this is... Oh, also, I'm looking it up, and apparently this was uh, June 4th, which, by the way, is Christine's birthday. So it's like she's mm. here in spirit. Um, yeah, this would totally be something that I feel like should be like brought up in conversation to this day. It's crazy. Yeah, you'd think so. So the teams fled into their clubhouses and closed and locked the doors. The completely uncontrolled, unhinged crowd pulled up and stole bases and anything else that it found. So they were just sti- – they were in the dugouts. They were stealing the bases off the field. They were just all over the place. They were un uncontrolled. Sure. I, I mean, I can't imagine – like you're already doing something very reckless and you have now found your way into like your favorite team's dugout. Of course, you're going to start stealing shit and looting oh, and all yeah. this crap. Who so, wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> so rioters threw a vast array of objects, including cups, rocks, bottles, batteries from radios, hot dogs, popcorn containers and folding chairs. Umpire crew chief Nestor Chilak, Kylak. Realizing that order would not be restored in a timely fashion, forfeited the game to Texas. He, too, was then a victim of the rioters as one struck and cut his head with part of a stadium seat and also cut his hand by uh, a rock being thrown at it. Oh, my God. He later called the fans, quote, uncontrollable beasts and stated that he'd never seen anything like what had happened, quote, except in a zoo. <gasps> wow. I mean, I would be, there's there's no other way to say it, but anyone would be terrified in that situation. Oh, I mean. Horrifying. People, are, and like you said earlier that people were even like breaking the stadium chairs off of the stadium platforms. Like, I mean. Yeah. It, they were busting up the stadium and crafting like clubs and it, weapons out of it. Yeah. And like. I don't know what baseball stadiums were like in the 70s, but I imagine they weren't very different than today and that they're confusing to get out of. Like, you're trapped in, in a state of panic over there. Like, <laughs> yeah. just scary. Like, oh, my gosh. I know. Very intense. So this rioting continued for about 20 minutes as Joe Tate and Herb Score called the riot live on the radio because they're still, like, commentary happening oh i totally forgot about that yeah Yeah, it's like a full-on like live game yeah and if you're if you could hear it on the radio of course they're gonna start updating people can you imagine just being in the car being like man i really wanted to go to that that rangers game or and like now like i bet i'm gonna miss a great show and now you're just hearing all of this and you're like whoa i'm so glad i didn't even make it there i would have loved to listen to that on the radio honestly (laughs) the volume would have been (laughs) cranked to 10 i would have been like everyone stop what you're doing well kind of like speaking of insurrectiony when i was watching on january 6th the live coverage on cnn it's like oh my god we were recording when the insurrection happened because i as we were talking i started getting all these texts from people now, it was it was a very jarring moment because I was like, clearly something important is going on because so many people are reaching out. But I got a record and I, we didn't find out until afterwards what had happened. 
my god i, I was know. watching it i was watching the i'm a fucking nerd so i was watching the 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 la- the final vote like the count yeah <laughs> live and then <laughs> and then they were like they'd like break away to show scenes from outside the capitol and i like te- I was texting my friends. I was like, uh, fucking turn on CNN right now. <laughs> can you, I, I mean, I, I'm saying, can you imagine to someone who literally did it, but to think you're, to have a very, uh, a very one way anticipation of what to be watching on the screen. And then all of a sudden it's just full chaos. I mean, yeah, that's probably exactly what they were going through too. Listening on the radio being like, wait, what's going on at that stadium across the street from my house? Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. Similar vibes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so as they're calling this riot live on the radio, Herb Score mentioned the security guard's inability to handle the crowd. Duh. Tate said, quote, Aw, this is an absolute tragedy. No shit, Tate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you for your two cents. <laughs> Thanks, Tate. The, the <laughs> Cleveland Police Department finally arrived to restore order, arresting nine fans, which, like, only nine? Yeah, fucking what were, what were those t- nine doing that were so... Sp- different compared to everyone else's actions maybe sticking around everyone else like gone home i don't know yeah but maybe- out of twenty five thousand people yeah like that makes me wonder like were were those nine doing anything particularly horrible were they doing nothing and they just like got they just won the lottery and got to leave <laughs> or were they like i mean were they were there only nine security guards who were able to grab a hold of them? Just gave up? Like, I don't know. I guess only nine cops showed up. <laughs> um, so Indians players escorted the Rangers back to their team bus. So like the Indians players at this point all were are the security guards for all the Texas Rangers players. <laughs> Poor guys. Cleveland general manager Phil Phil Seggy. Blamed the umpires for losing control of the game. Since when is it the umpire's job to control the fans? Hey, when? Since when is it the baseball players' jobs to be security? You know, like true. <laughs> at this point, like, everyone's playing multiple parts. <laughs> but if we're blaming somebody for this breaking out in the first place, it wasn't the umpires. Like the umpires are there to like. And very, again, I know very little about baseball. But the umpires are there to, like, call fouls and yeah. strikes and things like that. As not, far as I know, yes. That, as far as I know. They're not supposed to be, like, the police force of the baseball stadium. That's for exactly. sure. So the Sporting News wrote that, quote, Seggy's perspective might have been different had he been in Kylak's shoes in the midst of the knife-wielding, bottle-throwing, chair-tossing, fist-swinging drunks. So basically they're saying this guy was not – he's the general manager. He was not on the field. He can blame whoever he wants. He wasn't there. Wow. American League President Lee Lee McPhail. There are so many names in here, and they're all, like, very Polish. Yeah, I was going to say, like, (laughs) they all seem to be doing a number on you. (laughs) They really are. American League President Lee McPhail commented, quote, There was no question that beer played a part in the riot. (laughs) Gee, Lee, you think? And water is wet. Thank you so much for the insight. <laughs> so the next beer night promotion Shut on July 18th. Lucy, I really, I thought that was, I thought you were going to say the end. Nope. I told you. I told you they kind of acknowledged this and kind of didn't. What did they say? Were they like, 
well, that was a crazy accident of a first time, but <laughs> next time will be well, better. They stitched up a loophole, at least one, but so their next promotion <clears throat> attracted 41,848 fans, which was <sighs> almost twice as many as the first one. Right. With beer again selling for 10 cents per cup, but this time with a limit of two cups per person at the reduced price, and no major riots were reported. Okay. Well, I thank God for such a massive loophole to be <laughs> discovered so quickly. Wow. Even who the fuck didn't think to like put a cap on the number of dime beers that you could have? <laughs> God. Imagine if it were a uh, dime Mad Dog 2020s out because like Ugh. would would it have been a worse experience or would one dime have been all people were willing to spend? And it would have I mean either way it would have all been rowdy for sure. That was pretty rowdy. That was, was there was like there was a lot of like blood. I don't know if you Googled it, but I there's sh- like a lot of men wielding baseball bats and like blood and empty beer cans. And ugh, I, I wonder from like a psychology perspective what it was like to be in a socially recognized masculine space. And then all of a sudden everyone has is now encouraged to like fight and be as like hyper masculine as possible. I wonder mm-hmm how that played a factor into it and then throw in a bunch of beer like you know like mm-hmm. all just 100 percent a bad situation it's like a uh gladiator kind yeah. of thing yeah <laughs> wow you even you even have kind of like a what is it an like arena a, like, a, like, like a like a coliseum sort of situation <laughs> yeah oh my god people in uniform i mean who knows uh, <laughs> we haven't evolved all that much turns out <laughs> Like, where are the tigers? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's my story. (laughs) That was a great story. Wait a What a doozy. (laughs) And then also, um, I don't know if you noticed, you probably did with a simple Google search, but wow, there is a lot of merchandise available about Tencent Beer Night. Yeah. There's like modern quote quote unquote vintage merch associated with Tencent beer there's night. like I kind of want to get some there's cups and koozies and I survived and like fake tickets that you can buy I survived and- <laughs> <laughs> uh Cleveland fan favorites and then it shows like a bobblehead uh I'll 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 send the picture to you too after this but it's a bobblehead that says bobblehead night then dollar dog night jersey night helmet night and then 10 cent beer night and there's a big ass x on the shirt that says canceled on that one (laughs) (laughs) wow well they were all about their promos i guess they sure were well yeah well done that was excellent and that does feel (laughs) very minor league It, it feels like a little out of pocket for major league people to be messing around with but it is kind of it is it kind of smacks of minor league, doesn't it? It's you know when we do a, like live shows, I'm sure you've seen this too. That at bars, there's like a two drink minimum, and now I'm glad that there's at least like there's probably also a maximum we haven't heard about because like <laughs> now I'm like it could be like ten cent beer night really quick. <laughs> it could right. get really crazy. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. 
I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Fun Love. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first. And then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything I'm telling you from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Well, this is a spooky story for you. It's not super spooky. It's actually maybe a little sillier. Um, but if there's one thing, and that's why we drink listeners love, it is a poltergeist story. And very <gasps> rarely do I get to yeah. find these anymore because shockingly, not a lot of poltergeists in the world that have a lot of well-documented evidence behind them. Um, Weird. but here is one <laughs> who happens to be named Pete the poltergeist. Um, <laughs> so it was uh, also featured on the pilot episode of a show called strange, but true. And I don't actually know if there were any other episodes after the pilot episode. So this might be a one of a kind. (laughs) Um, So it takes place in the 80s in Cardiff, Wales. Oh, uh, I forgot to ask before we get into this. Do you have a reason why you drink this week? I totally forgot to ask you if you're drinking, why you're drinking, if anything's going on in your life. Oh, I'm not drinking tonight anyway, because I'm just freshly over my booster Mm -hmm. hangover. But um. If I were to drink, I would probably say it's like almost to the holidays. I got a lot of shit to wrap, a lot of travel coming up. Ugh. I And that would be the same reason I'm drinking too. It's just a lot of yeah. holiday planning. Yeah. Anyway, I forgot to ask and I'm sure people will scream at me on Twitter or something. So I want to see why don't you're drinking. Scream. Don't scream at him. Uh, don't. Uh, you can tweet though, but just nice things. So, okay. So Pete <laughs> not the- in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> so Pete the Poltergeist was in Cardiff, Wales, and this takes place in the 80s in a lawnmower repair shop called Mower Services. Straight to the point. Very uh, creative. Gotcha. Right. It was owned by two men named John and Fred Matthews. Uh, I was under the assumption that John and Fred were brothers, but I'm seeing from other sources that they might have been in-laws 
either way, they were somehow related to each other. Um, and they own this mower repair shop together. It was a structure built, uh, it was in a structure that had been built in the 1880s, so 100 years prior. And Ooh. it was originally houses, and then it was storefronts for a while, and there were no records of death on the property. So, just saying Are there that. there ever records? <laughs> I know. I, I wonder how many states they're actually... I know each state is different when you move into a house that they legally have to tell you if someone has died in on your property or in your but home. But if it's like that old also, if it was built in the 1880s. That's true. If someone died there in 1890, who's right. going to notice, really? <laughs> and also, like, what happened on the property before? Because my house, uh, my childhood home was built for our family, but it was also it's on a battlefield. So like you tell me, like it was, oh God. <laughs> you know, Oh, you're definitely haunted. <laughs> oh, there's so, I feel like everyone that is from my town. Cause uh, Fredericksburg was one of the top 10 bloodiest battles of the civil war or something. Um, and I feel like every house I ever went to, my friends had a creepy younger sibling who would just come in out of nowhere and be like, there's a soldier that walks in my room at night. Like it was just <laughs> common. <laughs> Every, everyone had a soldier that would just walk through their room. So ew, I know, I love it. So <laughs> I'm, and I there have been at least four ghosts that have been seen in my house, and so I'm sure there's at least another forty that aren't showing themselves. At so, least, at least, uh, are there any ghosts at your house? Uh not that I've seen. When we first moved in, so the owner. The owner before we bought our house, he um, rented it to like college students. Mm -hmm. And then before that, we had like a hoarder. And then before that, there was a family with a bunch of kids. And one of the kids was drafted to Vietnam and he ended up dying. Oh, so he might like have come back to the, the place or something? I think so. Basically, when we, mo we moved in, there was a lot of energy. It was a lot of really chaotic energy. And I did a lot of like cleansing or and whatever. saging and cleansing and all that stuff i think i have it to a to a point where we're good good i still feel like there's shit in our house but at least it's good stuff sure yeah but yeah no ghosts that i've seen every now and then there's something in this apartment but it's been pretty good at like keeping its place i'm also very direct with it where if i sense it at all i go no thank you and it just goes away <laughs> so um i will say one Quick thing, when uh, we had our crimes solved by psychics episode, yeah, I interviewed my personal psychic, shout yeah. out Charles Tiemann. <laughs> it's psychic-light.com. He's amazing. He used to work for the CIA. He's like, <gasps> legit. Fun. He came to my house and I was like, so do you like feel anything in my house? And the first fucking thing he said was... There's a lot of fear coming from the basement. <laughs> Good night. Absolutely not. I was like, I don't, I I'd don't want to talk about that. Be like, oh, Charles, <laughs> you have lost your job. You have lost your friend because <laughs> I am not here for that. So I've done a lot of work in the basement, and I feel like we're okay now. But that was unnerving. <laughs> Interesting. I've I've told this story on here before, but. Uh, a, a real quick version of it is that uh, I was staying at my friend's house who she, they didn't know going in that someone had died there. Um, and in the middle of the night, I was, I, someone grabbed my ass in the middle of the night and it was not my friend. 
And when I turned on my flashlight on my phone to see who was grabbing me, there was a handprint in the blankets on my ass. And when she ended up moving out later, oh, and apparently even when I wasn't there, things would happen to her when she lived there. Like she would be shaving her legs and then in the shower and she'd put the razor down. And when she would like go to like wash her face, she'd look back and the razor would be like sitting on the toilet in her bathroom. Like it would be, it was crazy. Oh, so I ended up, I always remembered getting grabbed when I was sleeping there, but when she moved out and they moved the bed, the bed was already, it was, the room was furnished when she got there. So she had never moved the bed and there was a decomposition stain under the bed of a body that had died there. So it grabbed me because I was lying where it, where a body had been. It's very creepy. Very creepy. That's the coolest thing. I know we have a, one of our friends is a forensic pathologist and another friend who's in forensics. So they were able to be like, that is absolutely a body stain. So Uh, my cousin lived in an apartment in New York, very, very tiny, tiny little, like a, soho apartment Mm -hmm. it was like a hundred square feet like max and there was a person who died on her floor before she bought the place and there's still a stain there yeah it's like what do you like still gets his she still gets his mail oh he was there for like weeks before anybody found him (gasps) oh no the place have you ever smelled the dead body Mm -mm. it's really wild it's the it's it's, I've heard people say before, before I had experienced it, like, oh, when you smell it, you know. And I was like, how does that happen? And then I smelled it and I was like, oh, that is 100% a dead body. I can't imagine what her room must have been like if someone was just lying there for weeks. That's so sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was obviously way before she moved in. But well, well, yeah. it, was the te- it was the tenant before she moved in. But they cleaned it. It didn't smell. But she, like, still received his mail for a while and... I would leave him a little mailbox next to where his body had been. Just get, let him have his mail every now and then. Or just if a Christmas card came for him, I'd leave a little shrine for him. I think, though, I think now that it's all coming back to me, it was a murder. <gasps> That's why it was so weird. He was murdered by one of his lovers. <gasps> they, they think. It was like an unsolved murder. Oh, no. And it was it's like a street level apartment. So there's a window, but there's like a gate in front of it, you know? Yeah. But you can open that gate. Like right. she accepts her pizza deliveries through her window. <laughs> <laughs> but also it's so weird knowing that like maybe like I, was he like shot through the window or anything? Like was that window a part of the murder that she's now accepting pizzas through? Uh, I think I think I think it was an invited lover and there was mm. like some sort of quarrel, like an intimate homicide. And then. Wow. The lover left. I don't remember off here uh, for sure, but it was something very dramatic like that. But there's definitely a stain on her floor. <gasps> I always wonder if every room I'm in, whether I'm in someone else's apartment or my own and I haven't heard anything, I'm like, someone could have easily been murdered here. How on earth would I know the difference? And it's just so weird to just walk through any room and not know what the history of it is. Yeah. Well, here's the history so of this one. Makes at, life exciting. At this, <laughs> at this mower repair shop. Ah, so, yes. The mower repair shop. So they didn't know of any deaths on the property. But then again, that doesn't really mean anything, as we just discussed. And uh, the poltergeist activity started as a lot of buildings do in Europe around this time. I don't know what it is, but anytime I've covered like an older poltergeist, poltergeist story out of the country, 
every single one of them starts with random rocks being pelted at people. It, <laughs> okay. I, it makes no sense, but it's so weirdly aggressive. And for what? Like, it makes no sense. So they started hearing stones getting thrown at the building all the time. And John and Fred and the rest of the staff, uh, they would hear rocks getting thrown onto the roof. I guess they had a tin roof. And so it made a lot of noise and they would hear the rocks roll down. And eventually they went to go check. They thought maybe they were the kids in town or I don't know, someone trying to piss them off and nobody was ever there, but the rocks would just keep hitting the roof and they weren't under a tree or anything for nuts to be fallen. It just made no sense. So when they went to go, uh, uh, when they went to go look one day and they didn't see anything, they just kept hearing the rocks. They went back to work in the garage, um, and I guess there's these things on lo- lawnmowers called spanners, which are basically like a fan. Um, and I guess when they went back into the shop to work after hearing the rocks on the roof, all of the spanners that had been hanging on the wall were now swinging alone by themselves. So one of the employees sees this and with his hands, like tries to like stop it. So it'll stop spinning. And after oh, he stopped it, he, it starts spinning again. Ew. So it's not like the wind. No wind. He is just doing it on his own. He tries to go back and grab it again. What? There's already a ghost behind you or what? No, it's my husband. Might as well be. (laughs) The spookiest of them all. Uh, So he went to go grab it again. And as as he grabbed the spanner to stop it from swinging, a wrench on the shelf flew off of the shelf by itself. Ew. Did it hit him? It did not hit him. But... A rock hit him out of nowhere from inside the building now after he had been hearing them on the roof. Oh, my God. So a rock appeared out of nowhere and hit him right in the gut. And he I guess it got like it looked like it had been thrown from the darker corner of the garage. So he picked it up and he threw it back into the corner and it came flying back at him again. Like it was like they were playing catch or something. Very weird. Yeah, with a rock. Fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody was ever in the corner. And this became a very regular thing. This was like a daily, multi, multiple times a day, daily occurrence. Ew. Where things were getting thrown from that corner of the garage. It could be rocks. It would be screws. It would be bolts. It would be little trinkets that had been found on the ground. Just anything. And if you would throw a rock into the corner a different rock would throw would come back at you so it was never oh i'm throwing it and it's bouncing off the wall and back to me it was a completely different rock so and uh john himself when he got interviewed about this he said nine times out of ten if you threw an item into the corner of that garage and nobody else was in there with you it would fly back to you very creepy oh my God. john also like- s- what like not just this one occasion this was like this was multiple times a day daily for like five years oh my god it was just normal that things would just get thrown at you all the time Um, would you want to keep working inhabiting that space i know i would be like buddy system every time there's no way i'm going (laughs) back in there no way no way forget (laughs) it or at least we're putting a light in there or something so i can see into the corner but then maybe the light would yeah. get thrown at me. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, don't put anything heavy <laughs> over there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just like cotton balls, you know. So uh, <laughs> despite this, none of the staff ever seemed to be scared of this entity or whatever was throwing things at them. Which is weird because I would be sure as shit scared. I, but all of them were like, oh, he's just having fun. Like they really just ran with this ghost playing games with them, which maybe they did for like self-preservation. Like it was better to be in denial than just like something throwing rocks at you. Yeah. Maybe you get like kind of a vibe if they're kind of having fun or if it's. I think the vibe, I think you can read the room based on how hard the rock is getting thrown at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touche. <laughs> if it's a little law, but it just hits right near your toes, that's one thing. <laughs> so over the over time, the employees got used to all these items flying around the, the business. Uh, they're, they also got used to the sound of the rocks on the roof. There were apparently like radical temperature changes where it would feel normal and then out of nowhere, it'd be ice cold and then it would go right back to normal. And there was no gauging it. There was no gradual change. It would just... Oh, just out of nowhere happened. Oh, they also nice. they also started experiencing this really gross stench, which usually means it's something demonic. If there's like a really particular powerful scent with poltergeist activity, it means it's That's demonic. Gross. They lovingly named the poltergeist Pete. I don't know where Pete comes from, but they just I think maybe they like alliteration. And yeah. who doesn't? Uh and Pete would also hide stuff from them that was their own personal objects and then would hope for all of the staff to be like, where's my thing? Where's my thing? Uh, but I guess they realized that the poltergeist wanted attention. And so they stopped caring. It was kind of like a like a younger sibling thing of like, oh, they want your attention. If you ignore them, they'll leave you alone. The poltergeist would get upset if you ignored the fact that he stole your stuff and he would then throw it at you. So yeah. classic poltergeist classic uh, once I saw on one source like someone lost their keys and then when they gave up looking for the keys all of a sudden like something out of nowhere just slid the keys out of the corner of a building and like they landed <laughs> at the guy's feet like fine fucking take them I kind of love that I do too it's very petty it's very petty <laughs> <laughs> so another time uh, this is where people realize that this spirit was also I guess kind of responding intelligently because you people start asking for particular items and they would just drop into your lap out of nowhere. So one time Pete dropped a paperclip on a table uh, with that, like an employee was just sitting there and a paperclip dropped on the table. And when the employee said, Oh, Pete, like, why not send me some more? And a whole box of paperclips out of the sky, out of the roof or the ceiling just dropped onto the table. Cool. And then the employee said, why not some paper too? And then just like a little angelic slips of paper just kind of floated down onto the table. But oh like, my God, I love Pete. He's very whimsical. He's very, he's here for the theatrics, which I love. He's yeah. also like so resourceful. Imagine if you're like in a crunch and you need something and you're like, I need a pen. And he just drops it in front of you. Yeah. You know? Especially if you're like in a mechanic's like warehouse kind of shop or you know i can't imagine it's that organized well it's like where's my blah 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 wrench well what's so funny is that they actually started using him for like inventory basically because the, <laughs> they would say like i need a plug and out of nowhere like a spark plug would show up on the ground like it was just very convenient 
It was like he was like an assistant, Heat? like he was being like a mentee. Honestly, he should be getting paid for his work. I wonder if, you know, I want you to remember that you said that in a second. So, oh, uh, so <laughs> John actually apparently lived next door to the company and activity also started happening at his own house where Pete started playing and breaking, playing with and breaking a lot of John's kids toys. Apparently, Pete loved the Rubik's Cube. Fun fact. And the same thing would happen there where if you just asked for something, it would just show up. So there were two examples I saw where John asked for a banana one time. And he also asked for random silverware. And both times it like flew at him from a random room. It just appeared. Oh. Another time John asked Pete about a small motor part uh, that had been on the table and he couldn't find it. He was like, where the hell is this piece? And then it was literally in his hand when, but then again, it's like, that's how I am with my glasses. Like, I'm like, where are they? And then it's on my face. Like, so I, <laughs> I don't know if that was a spooky one or, but the way that John says it is his hands were clenched. Cause he was so stressed trying to find this thing. And then he felt something prick him. And when he opened his hand, it was magically there. I'm going to go with that. I love that. I love it too much. It's the whimsy. Again, mm-hmm. I feel like that it makes sense so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote from Fred about how clever Pete himself was in materializing items. Fred said, he'd throw you anything you asked for. He must make you must make a note of this, you'd say, and then he would throw you a pen. You could say silly things like we've got to get this together and he'd throw you a staple. You know, this sort of thing he would associate with what we were speaking. It was so good that I would say, my Pete, you're so clever. There's one thing you can't do or get for me, though, and that's a Rolls Royce. And as I said that at my feet and John was my witness, a Rolls Royce key ring landed at my feet with RR on it. Is that not bananas? That was like obviously already in their shop somewhere. It didn't just materialize, right? It, it must have been because every every story I had heard was that it was an item from somewhere in the building. So it must have like just come. Like he must have stolen it from someone else's pocket or something, like a oh customer. My I don't know. God, I love Pete. But you know, he couldn't get you a car, but he at least got you the key ring. He did the best he could. That reminds me. You knew he was listening. He was listening. And it reminds me of the time when uh when I first wanted a car and I was looking for cars with my mom. I when I was like gonna go to college and I was like, Oh, I don't even care what car I get. I just really want it to be this color. And it was just like because that's who I was. And I was right. it was just this really <laughs> pretty rich blue color. And for Christmas, my mom got me a hair dryer of that color. And she was like, I'm not getting you a car, but I got you this hair dryer. <laughs> so it reminds me of. She knew you liked the color. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like he was like, I can't get you a Rolls Royce, but I can certainly get you the key ring. So people think you've got a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Uh, so after this, when they were like, oh, this guy, this spirit can like basically summon at least accessories to cars. Uh, John was, John basically asked like, Pete, what if I asked for some money? And sure enough, per request, Pete began dropping small coins in front of John and Fred regularly, quote, for almost five years every day. So the coins would simply appear with no explanation. One time in like their cup of tea, he was like just drinking tea and was like, oh, I could really use some change. And then change ended up in his cup. 
And they I hope they saved all that change and went on like an employee retreat at the end. (laughs) Well, I guess it was uh, they were saying in one of the quotes that there were very particular coins that would show up. It was like never more than like 50 pence. But like for some reason, like it wouldn't be exactly 50 pence. But there were times where up to like a five pound note or a 10 pound note would show up, which is the equivalent to like seven, I think up to like 15 bucks. And mm-hmm. US dollars, it would That's just not nothing. show up. It would just show up. I guess they averaged about five pounds a month from all the coins that Pete would bring them, which was about $7 a month. I'll take it. I'll take it too. That's a Starbucks right there. Like for five years? For five years. That's all. So that's like about, let's say, 60, 70 bucks a year for five years. That's like 300 bucks. Yeah. That's nothing to frown on, you know? It's a pizza party. That's for sure a pizza party. You could at least... Great pizza party. So at least enough to buy yourself a Ouija board and talk to Pete, you know? So... Exactly. (laughs) uh, I think this was Fred who said this. In one hour, I collected 68 pence by just saying, send me some more money. Send me some more money. Which, at this point, I feel like Pete is getting used. Like, he has to know... Like, I can conjure you just about anything, and I feel like we have found a loophole, and now I'm obligated at this point to keep giving you whatever you want. It's like wishing for more wishes. Yeah. So earlier it was funnier when you said, like, oh, well, like, Pete should be getting paid. And it's like, ironically, he's paying them. Like, (laughs) so. Well, like, what else is he going to do, honestly? I feel like poltergeists are just bored ghosts. Right. Yeah. With, like, more autonomy. Yeah. You know, it just like an awareness of like their capabilities, I guess. Yeah. But also More agency, I guess I should say. I wonder, though, as a poltergeist, like how was how were they able to get their hands on like a 10 pound note? But they couldn't get more than that. Like, I wonder, like, ethically, was this poltergeist like that's like I can't go beyond this level? Or is there something like they can only conjure a certain thing at a time or or because like the Rolls Royce keychain? Yeah. Pete must have been getting it from somewhere in the shop. He might have oh, just been going into other people's wallets and just taking their spare change. So and they smart. never noticed because it was just like a quarter or whatever. That's so smart. And they also probably never actually made any additional money if it just kept getting like transferred to different people in the yeah, in the building. It was, just, it was just moving around. Just yeah, okay, that's totally the answer. Uh <laughs> so Originally, it started as smaller coins just materializing in front of people. But then it, when it became like fivers or tenors, the money would just start showing up in random parts of the workshop that nobody would have put it. So they were finding uh, bills basically in like ceiling tiles. They found it one time stuck to like the surface of their car after it rained. And then eventually Fred and John were like, OK, like our our whole staff knows about this spirit I think they were afraid that their customers were going to start noticing something. And so they wanted to have a serious uh, interaction with the ghost. And they decided to hold a seance in the workshop. To make him go away? I think. I don't know if it was just like a meet and greet or something. They never really addressed it. (laughs) But they had everyone that was in the building sit at the table with them. Lock all the doors, lock all the windows so nobody else could get in. And they had their hands visible to them. At all times. So everyone knew that if something was getting thrown out of the ceiling or out of the corner of a room, nobody was pranking the staff. And pretty immediately, uh, Pete comes forward and drops a huge rock onto the table. 
Krakatoa. And then when they start mentioning like, oh, we should take notes during this, a pen gets thrown at them. So it's very intelligently responding to them. Like at this point, it's a little condescending. Uh, (laughs) We fucking get it. Okay. It's like I could have had my own pen or you know what? If you had a pen like in your bag to use, if he almost like grabbed it out of the bag for you and put it on the table. That'd be nice. But it's, yeah, it's a little condescending, though. I get it. So after this, uh, Fred and John were like, okay, something intelligent is here. We need to reach out to professionals. And so they reached out to the SPR, which is the Society of Psychical Research. It's like the big, uh, the big honchos in terms of like studying the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got a hold of one of their researchers there named David Fontana who would stop by sporadically and investigate from 1989 to 1992. So three years of going there every now and then just to like see if anything had changed. And as far as I know, based on what I was able to find, he always found something new whenever he would go there. Like it was consistent proof of a spirit. The first time he went, he showed up and a rock was hurled at him. And John said, he's saying hello to you. It sounds like when you like meet your friend's dog and the dog is like clearly fucking hates you and your friend is like, oh, the puppy's saying hi. It's like, no, (laughs) your dog hates me. (laughs) Like, I know it and it's fine. Let's just. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. I I, I just met uh, one of my friend's dogs named Gus. Gus could not hate a person more than he hates me. And I didn't even do anything. I just showed up and he was just confused by me. It felt very transphobic. And I, and my friend kept being like, oh, Gussie loves you. Gussie loves you. And I was like, are you kidding yourself right now? Like Gus and I are in the same room. I can tell we are not making a friendship, a strong friendship here. Yeah. What is Gus like when he hates someone? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> So anyway, the the poltergeist throws a rock in his head and everyone goes, oh, he's saying hi. So that's how it felt, I imagine. (laughs) And in David Fontana's notes after researching Pete, he said that Pete was a, quote, responsive poltergeist because he had both intent and the intelligence necessary to accomplish it. Which, okay, but we already knew all that based on this story so far. So good observation, Dave. Um, He also said that the spirit was more legitimate based on other uh, cases he had investigated because you never actually saw any of the materialized objects mid-flight. You always just saw them once they were coming at you or once they were hitting you, but you never saw them crossing a room to get to you. And so I guess his argument was if you only ever see the object appearing at its final destination instead of like from point A to point B – you, if someone else was throwing it from across the room, you would see it making its way to you. But instead, you just see it appear and drop to the floor. And versus that's evidence of the poltergeist? Evidence that it is a poltergeist and not someone pranking everybody, I guess. Because you're not actually seeing it fly across the room, which would happen if someone was throwing it at you. Instead, it just literally like blinks in front of you and falls to the floor. Hmm. I've always wondered what it what it. Because, you know, ghosts and poltergeists and things that move things or like mm-hmm. you blink and something's moved or like your friend's razor. Yeah. I've always wondered like how? that. I've always wondered that, too. Like it, when I'm not looking, if something were to move from this side of the table to this side of the table, if my eyes were closed, would it actually make its whole way across the table? Or 
Is it literally like blinking away into some other realm and appearing on the other side of the table? I have no idea. I guess in this case, it was doing that where it was was the blinking disappearing from our universe for a moment to get to the next spot. I mean, who are we to argue? Sure. I don't know a lot, so I'm not going to start here, you know? (laughs) So interestingly, in his uh, historical research, David did say that he saw a boy, he found out that a boy had been killed on a road nearby. And so that might actually have been Pete. Um, And that story was confirmed later by the boy's sister. So there was a death nearby. We don't, it never was on the official property. Um. And the fact that the SPR came out to investigate got the news of Pete the Poltergeist really swirling around the area. So although Fred and John were worried about losing business, once like once the news started swirling, they were worrying that they worried that people would find out and not go there anymore. But now everyone's showing up because they want a glimpse at Pete. So I'd fucking go there. Yeah, of course. If anything's haunted, it's immediately where I head. So uh, also, if you can just go somewhere and ask for spare change, right. get it. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, such a good point of like, <laughs> or what if you saw someone on their lunch break and you really wanted that sandwich and you were like, Pete, hook me up, like just fucking steal it. Like, <laughs> like they won't yeah. know. I just want it. <laughs> so, I want that Rolls Royce keychain. <laughs> I, <do. laughs> I want the most expensive mower they have here. Get it to oh, me. Oh, shit. Drop it from the, the sky. Lawnmower just <laughs> drops in your lap. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> like, and it had already started. No, no. Um, so, some of the people that actually witnessed the spirits here when they—I guess they were either customers or visiting after they heard that there was a ghost there—they had seen quote little no little nuts and bolts just flying around and dropping from nowhere. They had oh, seen fun. quote a stone whizzing around on the floor. And then another said that they saw, quote, stones and things were flying around and pinging off of the shelves. And apparently cops and repairmen who both came in at different times because there had been a break in. um, They also witnessed that this poltergeist was real because both of them kept getting pelted with stones while they were there working the case. So... I think he said ACAB is all I know. Let's just say (laughs) just pelting random cops for no reason that were there to help. So after all of the newfound (laughs) attention and probably like additional attention that had been given to Pete by people coming in and wanting to see him, uh, I think Pete started getting stronger. And one Mm -hmm. day at the shop, Fred actually sees Pete. (gasps) And, uh, so the reports that the staff mentioned uh, before he sees him, though, a bunch of other reports come out where people had seen Pete doing things other than just throwing items, such as dust being dropped down someone's shirt. Like he just like dust? Dr- you just dr- like a handful of dust and just put it in the back of someone's shirt. <laughs> like gross. when people do that with ice cubes, but this is much yeah. grosser. Yeah. Uh, he apparently would smash dishes and then they would magically be put back together. Beautiful. Uh, a lawnmower, as we were just joking about, a lawnmower started on its own. Thank God it didn't fall from the ceiling onto someone's lap. Um, <laughs> and apparently he texted or, or he, the text, no, he did not text, uh, but the text gobbledygook, like that word was apparently typed out on a computer by itself in the office. Oh. Um, 
And then the rest of the quote is, and on one occasion, blue flames emerged from a brass World War II shell case that was on display in the workshop. So he's also like starting like little cute fires. He's <laughs> of, of all of the words he could write on a computer. He is choosing the word gobbledygook and spelling it right. Good for him. So now after all of this activity, it's just proof that he's getting stronger. And this is when Fred okay. sees him. So Fred's okay. working on a lawnmower and he felt like he was being watched. So he looked up and he sees the apparition of a little boy sitting on the shelf. And this is a quote from him describing what Pete looks like. He was a little boy, which, by the way, confirms that it might be the ghost of the little boy who died on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. He was a little boy dressed in 1940s clothes, wearing a peaked cub cap, dark short trousers, a jacket, and big black boots. He was all gray. No face, but the face was there. It's hard to explain. He looked really out of proportion to me. His body, compared to his size, says that his head should have been through the ceiling. It's hard to explain, but he looked really out of proportion. Ew. His head and legs were just outlines. There was nothing there, and all you could see was his hand waving. Which, I don't like that he's waving. <sighs> it's one thing if he's sitting there staring at you, but to wave means he wants to interact with you, in my mind. And his head should have been, like, up to yeah. the ceiling. Like, how big Ooh. is he? Like, what, what size is he where his head should be through the ceiling? That no reminds thanks. me, my my family calls it well you know when you have the flu and you're and you're sleeping and your dreams are like super fucked up yeah and they're like ooh, 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 ooh. my family calls them the fast and slows <laughs> but that's such but a perfect like, way to describe it but like everything is out of proportion and like uncanny and like nightmarish yes yeah, everything's yeah, just kind of like kind of how that feels like, woo, woo, like woo, like woo. a growing and shrinking situation all at once. Like it's just fast and slow. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, that I that's probably I kind of get that same vibe from Pete the Poltergeist. And mm -hmm. when Fred saw him, I guess John was also next to him but hadn't noticed. So Fred told John to turn around slowly and see the boy. But when John turned, the boy was gone. And when he was like, I don't see anything. Out of nowhere, a brick got hurled at John's head. Okay, so no one's ever been hurt by these shenanigans, and right? also no, yes, and also no one's afraid of him, which is so weird. Because if something was throwing bricks at me after I tried to look at it, I would be bothered. Uh, yeah. If a person I could see threw a brick at me, I would be bothered. Let alone <laughs> if I couldn't see it. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be bothered in pretty much any scenario where a brick is thrown at me. <laughs> Especially if someone else had just seen it and was like, look, and then you're trying. And it's, it clearly didn't want you to see, but it was still there, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't love that. Don't, so yeah. after that, Fred saw Pete like around five more times. And very quickly, Pete started becoming very obsessed with Fred. And I guess possibly attached to Fred in some way or... It just seemed to be giving him more attention or things started getting thrown at him more. He was leaving everyone else alone. In 1993, the mower business ended up moving out of that location. But uh, Pete ended up moving too, except to Fred's house. And set, so he left the, the mower business alone after that. He retired and he just went home oh. to, with Fred. And the same activity starts happening in Fred's house, including him appearing again because Fred's grandson later told him that he saw a little boy sitting in grandpa's chair. So now we're seeing him more often. And Pete lived in that house with, and like was uh, 
very active with his poltergeist phenomena for around three years. Can you imagine being Fred's wife? And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this thing that you've been talking about for years that throws bricks at you every day now is in my home? Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be okay with that. Uh, that's a, that's an eviction notice. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because Fred described him as it was like having a lodger, like someone's in my home. <laughs> Fred said, you always knew when he was around, I'd feel a cold draft and the hairs on the back of my neck would stand on end. He'd pull our hair and then put money in front of us. It was like having a lodger, <laughs> which like, first of all, what lodger is pulling your hair and then giving you money? But also, I'm still shocked that no one is feeling uncomfortable around this thing because I've always understood that if it's making you feel uncomfortable, it's because it wants you to feel uncomfortable. And so if it's putting hairs on the back of your neck and giving you a cold shiver down your spine, and it's also yanking your hair, it... But it's also paying you. It's like a <laughs> like a tithe. It's like a tithing. It is. It's, it's like, yeah, I'm bugging you because I have to. But like, here's a little bit. Here's a little sweet in the deal. You know, <laughs> something to make it a, a, not as painful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird service he's offering the poltergeist at this point. <laughs> but so different sources. I guess I'm, I'm assuming it was Fred's wife who was like, "This has to end." So different sources make it sound like Pete eventually left on his own or that his activity got to be too much and Fred and his wife had to get rid of him. So um, one source I saw was that Fred got in contact with a medium who told him that he needed to break any item that Pete liked to interact with, which I would think is the worst thing you can do and like piss off the ghost who's already almost hitting you with bricks every day. Yeah. But I guess it was like breaking the like connection of like him being able to mess with your stuff. I feel like if there's a medium out there who's listening to this right now, they're going to reach out to us and be like, no, that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. But that was what one of the sources said. Um, Another source has Fred saying that it was like a very amorous breakup of like, or amicable breakup of, not amorous, yikes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But Fred said, quote, it has been a wonderful experience and I feel quite privileged and honored to have him around, but we want to go back to our normal life. So I'm glad he's gone as long as he's all right, which seems like a very diplomatic way of ending things. And I think so. At any rate, I don't know what actually happened, but they parted ways, I guess. And uh, there haven't been any new sightings of Pete since the 90s. Uh, Fred knew he was officially gone because uh, I guess Pete had this trademark thing where he hated oranges and uh, he hated them in the house. It makes no sense. He hated oranges. And if there were oranges in the house, he would try to like throw them out the windows or get rid of oranges. And Fred knew that the day Pete was never, uh, never came back was the last time he had oranges in the house where he was doing dishes. And after he had just washed a, a dish, in that brand new dish, all of a sudden, he found an orange sitting there. And that was the last time he ever saw any activity from Pete. And Oh, so Pete was like, okay, I'm leaving. You can have your oranges back. Yeah. And then he, like a ship in the night, as mysteriously as he <laughs> came, he is he vanished. So that is oh. the story of uh, Pete the Poltergeist. I love Pete. Pete? I don't think I'd want him in my lawnmower repair shop but he's like the friend that you don't invite to the party but if someone else asks if he can be their plus one you're like yeah just keep an eye on him you know like he's like exactly he's fine i don't need for a minute i don't need my i don't need to text him i don't need to be that close with him but he can be around 
We all know those. I'll be his Instagram friend, but not his FaceTime friend, you know? Yeah, not an IRL friend. (laughs) Right. But yeah, so that's that. Wow, what a chaotic episode between the baseball brawls and the... We kind of covered a lot of bases. Don't you do that to me. That that was fun. Well, I liked it. I liked it too. I I really do appreciate you coming on here. We obviously love Wine and Crime. So here's a big shout out. If you do not listen to Wine and Crime, please go do so. Uh, When do you put out episodes? What every day is it? Uh, it's every Thursday, and then we have monthly bonus episodes. Um, we also have episodes of Gossip at the Corpse Cart, which is another like main feed kind of spinoff. We talk about current events, and then we have a shitload of Patreon exclusive content. So you do. I every Check time and- every time we think of doing something Patreon-y, I, I'm like, you've got again your base is loaded. Like you've got spooky little bitch. You've got um, you've got your drunk guys. Drunk dives. We got mansplaining. We've have uh, Kenyon's new show. It's called Unimpressed, where she just like complains about some niche thing with a special guest. I'm supposed to be on that soon. Fun fact. Oh, you'll have fun. Anyway, go join their <laughs> Patreon because wow, like the the amount of content is like out of control. So uh, well, thank you so it. much for coming on. And then if Kenyon was on last week and you were here this week, I wonder who uh, my co-host is going to be next Ooh. week, folks. Uh, And that's why we drink. Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first state invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award-winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax-free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com.